Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the True Grit Podcast, where we believe that personal growth and helping each other solve important problems is the best way to make the world a better place. I'm your host, Craig Couch, and every week it's my job to interview top performers and unlock the secrets to their success so that you and I can apply some of their thought patterns, daily rituals, and strategies to our own mission. My next guest is Victoria Wise, who's an energetic entrepreneur and the first power woman I've had the opportunity to interview. Victoria was named one of the top 400 most influential people in Fort Worth by Fort Worth Inc. Magazine for the last two years and was chosen as a great woman of Texas by the Fort Worth Business Press in 2019 and received the Legacy of Women Award by Safe Haven in 2018. She built and sold a multi-million dollar online jewelry auction site back in 2014, started an online marketing agency, and, and obtained uh, some pretty formidable clients in the real estate space. She's the founder and creator of the Facebook community that a lot of you have heard of called Tanglewood Moms, which has over 17,000 members. She even got Zuckerberg's attention when Facebook asked her to join the inaugural Small and Medium Business Council, now called Leaders Network. In 2017, she added Madeworthy Magazine as an extension of her company that is a bi-monthly publication with a readership of about 40,000 people. She holds board positions with the Lone Star Film Festival and Connected Commerce Council. Most recently, she co-founded a racial reconciliation group called Heartwork. She's traveled to 25 countries on five continents, but not after having four children and spending quality time with her husband, Billy Bob. Victoria, welcome to the True Grit podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me. That was a, that's a lot. <laughs> it was a long intro and I've, I've interviewed some very impressive people and uh, your, your bio is very, you are definitely a power woman for sure. Well, thank you. That, that, was, that was spanned over several years. So <laughs> yeah, it didn't happen and you weren't an overnight success, right? Well, I have to know what it's like being married to Billy Bob Wise. Oh, he's the best, you know, I have to say that, you know, being married, see, it's been 13 years, you know, you go through your ups and downs, but I wouldn't have chosen to do this with anyone else. You know, we have four kids and they are really uh, a, a huge part of our relationship. You know, everything that we do, we do for them. You know, we, uh, we right now co-run this business. I started the business and, and he helps and, but he does, you know, a lot of the, uh, lead parenting, I should say, because my, my time is, is spent online and answering emails and talking to clients and before COVID meeting with clients. So yeah, we're a team. I feel like I got that from my parents. You know, they were always a unified front. You couldn't divide them. And so that's what we, we try to be as well. That is awesome. Well, Billy Bob and I go way back. He's actually one of the first people I met uh, when I moved to Fort Worth, because when I got here, I showed up newly married basically this is 25 years ago and i had a a 71 toyota land cruiser fj40 which is the jeep style land cruiser it was super old it had no doors no top sheepskin uh seat covers and it was a three speed uh it we'd replaced the the motor was replaced and it was a three speed 350 <laughs> chevy 350 engine in there and uh and i sold it to billy bob 
Nice. <laughs> <laughs> and so I knew I liked him. He was in college. He was just a kid yeah. in college. And I was like, this kid, he's trading in his CJ7 for a for an FJ40. And uh, it was, and then uh, I guess a, a year later, two years later, he uh, he actually came and worked uh, in the retail business with me. Yes. Uh, yeah. We had a wonderful stint together. So I got to know Billy Bob pretty well. Yeah, that's a, kind of about the time we met was was when he was working at Orbis. And, um, oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Just his friends. And then, you know, later on, we started dating. But that's that's when I met him. Did he still have the doorless truck? <laughs> no, he, he drove a VW Jetta, I think. Oh, <laughs> so much more responsible. Not I, quite as cool. Yeah, not quite as cool. It's, it was really a pain to not have doors or top. Yeah. Uh, it was a pain. Oh, but he's a big fan of those vehicles, even today. <laughs> well, so enough about about Billy Bob, <laughs> I think uh, maybe a good jumping in point might be, you mentioned your parents just a second ago. Um, you know, when did you realize that you had such a strong entrepreneurial spirit? You know, I will say that my parents um, weren't the influence necessarily, but maybe through genetics, they were, my, my grandfather was uh had multiple businesses, restaurants, car dealerships, and whatnot. We're from South America, so that was a, that was based in Ecuador. But um, my dad was, and my mom, like, you know, they both were like, "You're not gonna just grow up and get married. You're gonna be able to take care of yourself." And so I want, we want you to go to college. I we did. We, I grew up in Duncan in Norman, Oklahoma, and they didn't want me to go to school in OU. They, you know, go and sprout some wings. And so I followed my brother and went to TCU. So after, and I lived a very privileged life, you know, my parents, I never wanted for anything. I will have to say, I'm so thankful for how they provided me with, with anything, including a college education. Um, so after college though, I was cut off, (laughs) like cut off, no more money from mom and dad. And that was a great lesson. And so I think I just had to like make it on my own. And at the time, we got, I graduated in 96. There weren't a lot of jobs. You know, um, I wasn't sure what I was going to do with my life. I was an RTVF ma- major. Um, and I'll summarize this, but after college, I was very ill for three years and I wasn't able to really work or do anything. So um, I kind of got back into the working world by working at a little retail store on Cambui and then working nights at Joe T's um, to help buy a pay for a new car that I needed. And, uh, while working at that little shop, I launched my first business. It was 1999. I started making jewelry and I started selling it to that store. Eventually started selling it through the Dallas, um, market. Um, it was called the fashion hall. I forget the name of it. It's not there anymore, but it was just fashion. And I, uh, sold to about 40 stores in the five state area. So my entrepreneurial spirit was born. I had this ability to make jewelry and, and that was kind of, you know, now you hear a lot of people making jewelry, right? That's, or having jewelry businesses. But I, at the time, kids that graduated college didn't start businesses. You know, we, we worked for someone else and learned, um, you know, different aspects, aspects of the business. I love the culture now with entrepreneurship and, and uh, just start having a side hustle and making that your thing. And that was mine. So that was my entry into the business world. Yeah, well, that's really it's really cool because you're you're basically working in a retail shop. You're probably selling jewelry, and then thinking, "Oh, yeah, I, I can 
make probably make better jewelry than this that's that would sell even better and i guess your wheels started turning compounded with potentially with kind of the whispering of your parents going victoria you know you need to be able to take care of yourself um it's just amazing and I, I, how how are you instilling that principle in your kids now so my 12 year old son got his first job for the summer he's mowing the neighbor's lawn and making 35 bucks a week. So <laughs> I thought that was pretty good. So we're going to keep that up and encourage him to do those, uh, that kind of, those kind of projects. And, you know, with my oldest, I kind of had planned out for him <laughs> to have some sort of business in high school. You know, I did, I actually did sell jewelry, uh, that I made in college to a store in Norman. So just kind of dabbled in it. So I just wanted him to, to feel that and not, not just him, but him in particular, cause he does, I feel like have that fire within him to do something independent, um, get him, whatever it is, pick a, pick a type of industry and, and, and have his hand at trying business. Yeah. Well, um, I'd like to shift gears and, and, um, cause I'm curious about Tanglewood moms and if you could paint a picture, um, for us of where you were in your life when you started this, um, uh, this incredible movement, uh, on online on Facebook specifically, what was the, where were you in life? What, what was going yeah. on at that moment? That covers a lot of ground between the little business I started in 99 and, and launching Tangled Mons in 2011. Um, but I did, I, I did work in the corporate world, um, uh, being the head of a jewelry company in Dallas. And then after that, uh, started, um, a online auction business or I did someone else. I'm, I'm going to back up. No, I started a children's wear business that had huge success on Facebook through, I, I was a, a manufacturer for other retailers. Uh, it was all the smocked gear, right? That uh, we all kind of went through that stage with our little ones. So after that, uh, I was with a friend during, and I played, uh, I played it for our, our oldest and we decided we wanted to do the same thing and launch this online auction business called Jewelry Net Auctions um, and do the same business model that these ladies were doing with Smocked Gear. And I was still producing for them. I'm sorry. So, can I interrupt you real quick? You said yeah. it twice and I have no idea what Smocked Gear is. Oh, it's just those little kind of John Johns that kids wear and it has these um, patterns on the front that are hand smocked and with little designs. And they usually wear it for a first few years of their life. Okay. You know, baby girls and boys, but it, it went gangbusters on Facebook. Girls were doing actually, um, Steve case, is that his name, right. With AOL, he invested in one of those auction sites, um, for $20 million. So it was, it, it was kind of the big deal back in the 2009, 10, 11 time. So we launched, we, we started it with the jewelry vertical because it hadn't been done before that way. And initially just, so that was 2011. So what I, what I want to jump to is that's when Tangled Moms also started. And so really Tangled Moms was a, <laughs> was a marketing play. I, I wanted to have a local group that when we'd had things going on in this national platform locally, like a sidewalk sale or something people could come to in Fort Worth, we have this network of women already built in this group. We never used it for that. A lot of people don't know that. Yes. <laughs> That's why we started it. But that, you know, that was something I thought would be beneficial. I saw Facebook groups. I really understood that Facebook platform and its marketing ability kind of 
early on, seeing that success with those smock sites and, and then, then with our jewelry site. But once we launched in September, 2011, with our first auction, we co-launched uh, Tangled Moms. And then by the end of that year had already done close to half a million in sales just through that Facebook page. So during that time, we were just slammed working hundred hour weeks. We, and at our biggest, we were had 19 employees and we were shipping, you know, hundreds and thousands of products a week. And so Tangled Moms was just this thing on the side and it ended up becoming this wonderful place where women could go and ask questions, ask for recommendations, you know, share things that they had learned or that they think might be beneficial to the community. So it was this, um, you know, beautiful place, about 2,300 members by the time in, in 2014 when I sold Jewelry Nut Auctions. The next year, 2015, and I'll talk about some hardship, um, was rough. You know, I, the income was gone, that flow from the jewelry business. Billy Bob lost his job and we were, we had no income. You know, there wasn't there, we have four kids and they were all very young and expensive as they still are. <laughs> but, uh, I thought, okay, what am I going to do? And, and I'm not the kind of person of, I'm going to go find a job now. You know, I still have to have the flexibility um, of being able to work from home and doing it at my time or, 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 you know, we did have offices with jewelry nut, but, um, I knew that we had, I had the ability to help businesses, uh, grow. And that's where, um, the online uh, digital marketing business stemmed from. And we had a bit, we launched with a large national client. It was a mortgage servicer, like one of the, like the second largest in the country. Um, and we managed their, uh, Instagram and Facebook content. Uh, then I did a regional uh, distillery based in South Texas and then um, a real estate client, as you mentioned. So <clears throat> that social media, you know, me going and selling people on running their social media got a lot of no's, you know, those were three great yeses, but a lot of people are like, I don't understand why would I need somebody running my social media or I can't afford you. Like you charge, you know, too much. And then, you know, I don't see the benefit of how am I going to get that return? So I thought, well, what can I do to help small business? And that's when I launched the about uh, middle of uh, 2015 uh, tangle So different from the community that already existed, we already had this active, you know, community online, on Facebook, tangledmoms.com is a standalone website where we have a business directory listing and a blog. So uh, our sponsors are on the listing and our uh, blog is where we share stories. So it came out of a need, you know, it came out of a need to help small business solve their problems. And it came out of a need for me to have, you know, make more income. And we, la- I, I, I made the website myself. I went and bought a WordPress template for $100. I was able to configure it on the back end, not really knowing a lot about it, but I was able to get that online. And that $100 investment turned into $2,500 profit that first month. So I knew (laughs) that it was going to (laughs) work. They don't all work, you know, you can try things. You're like, let's just try this, but it wasn't a big investment. So, so can you, can you dive into the particulars just for a second? Mm -hmm. Um, How, um, how the monetization piece works. So you had Tinglewood moms, which was, you know, basically a Facebook, a private Facebook group with women only uh, that had its own thing going. And, and then you added the tanglewoodmoms.com. Uh, and there was there's a gap there in my mind. And I'd love to hear the how you monetized 
Yeah. Um, how, how you monetize? Conducted it all. Well, mm-hmm. so one of the things that I was also offering you know, the, the those uh, social media clients were was you know managing all aspects of their um, of their you know online presence, and so Instagram was a great place where you could still organically grow a lot of followers. Facebook had in 2014 kind of had shut down a little bit with their algorithm changes. So it was a little different play there when you're, when you're marketing and growing a a community. Um, But I, at the same time of launching the website, I launched an Instagram account so that I could show those social media clients how I could quickly grow your Instagram account. And, and I should say, I had that social media business with, um, another, another woman. I, we had it together. So, but, uh, the Instagram account was added. I added a Facebook page, business page to a company, a company, the group called Tangle and Moms, same thing. And, um, an email newsletter. So that's where you can put in a lot of advertising for your clients is having these different channels set up. So the monetization piece is, yes, they're monthly sponsors on the website and they have their business directory listing. We have their banners in our email newsletter. We send out uh, two email newsletters a week now and um, there are uh, banners at the top and bottom of the email. So that's where we can sell sponsorships. Then uh, Facebook and Instagram are also places where you can do a sponsored shout out. And so they, you know, you can definitely clearly delineate who are, who are paying clients and who's an editorial story. Yeah, that's just, uh, that's just incredible. And I think, you know, I'm really curious at how, um, you know, you got in with, with, uh, got, you know, Zuckerberg's attention in a way as kind of an early adapter and building these groups and, um, and then melding them together and, and figuring out a way to monetize them. What was that like going to those, um, I guess you would call them summits uh, with other influencers like you? Um, and what were so, some of the takeaways? I'd, yeah. So that was in 20, 2013. We were building software for Jewelry Nut. We had pieced together all different things to make our business work. But we actually hired a CTO and art- architects and offshore development to develop software to run those auctions on Facebook. We met with Facebook in 2013 to just make sure that what we were doing weren't against terms of service and that we could con- we could do this. And so we got kind of in that eye, their eye, their PR team, you know, reached out to us and told stories on, uh, you know, their sites and, and having – Covington Post and whatnot. Um, so then the following year in 2014, they launched their, their inaugural, inaugural SMB council. So it wasn't, they weren't summits. There were just 12 businesses that were chosen at the time. There were 25 million advertisers, business advertisers on Facebook. Um, I think that number is greatly, I think there's maybe hundred million. I, I don't know how many businesses are on now. I could get that number for you, but so we were 12 and we were shipped out there and we, they put us up in hotels and it was so nice to <laughs> kind of get treated that way and meet with their executives. We met with Cheryl Sandberg. We met with a lot of, you know, VPs and, and, uh, in the, in the business space of Facebook and just, they wanted to know how we were using their platform and what advertising tools were, beneficial to us? How could we help them develop them? So we, in essence, were alpha and beta testers of their early ad products. And um, one in particular that I'm probably still under NDA for, but that's how things are able to be bought and sold on, on, on Facebook. So 
because we were, we were already selling product on Facebook. And so we had three years experience and they had zero and they wanted to know how did you do it? So we can enable everybody else to do it. Right. So that's, that was my experience with Facebook. I, it has since turned into now that I don't have that business anymore. I did to attend the leadership. Uh, it's called Facebook community summit. And it was wonderful. All these people have built these amazing groups on Facebook and what they do and all ranges of things. And so I, I do enjoy having that relationship with Facebook still. Yeah, you bet. Well, I, I have, um, I sort of have a love hate relationship with, with, with Facebook. Um, you know, we, um, and you don't know much about my businesses, so I'll give you a little, a little explanation. So we, uh, we buy, I'm in the real estate business, as you know, but, um, our portfolio company buys about 70 houses a year. And then we put 30 to 40 or $50,000 into each house to make them the best house on the block. And these are in low moderate income areas. Um, and then we, uh, we actually sell them on Facebook in Spanish. (laughs) So we have 27,000 followers on our Facebook page. Um, and most all of it's in Spanish. And, um, and so my love hate comes in with, you know, I, I don't really own that traffic. Um, and it, and it, it, it makes me a little bit nervous that we are actually, I mean, we don't use realtors to sell these houses. Um, we, we have a sales force because we are that we wear all the hats in the transaction. So we have a sales force that does that, but, all the traffic comes from Facebook and it's pretty incredible uh, how effective it is. The other side of that coin is uh, I've just heard these nightmare stories where Facebook just cuts people off um, and, and, or just shuts them down. And I don't own that traffic, even though I've paid for it, I still don't necessarily own it. And in your experience, um, I, I, I heard you mention email addresses um, yeah. and gathering email addresses. Um, just what are your thoughts about, about the line of thinking that I just described? Sure. So, you know, there are lots of ad tools for all kinds of businesses. And I think if you're really trying to own that audience, one, you've got to be using your pixel and maybe you do that. Maybe you don't, you do. Okay. So there's that way to Facebook knows your audience is, and it's going to, um, continually try to hone in because people, they want people to be happy with their platform. So they're going to show that content or ads to the people that are most likely going to engage with them. That's more, that shows, will give you success. It gives them success. Um, You know, lead forms, I guess, is the way that you would be able to capture those um, email addresses. You can do that on Facebook. You can do that through the different funnel channels and whatnot. Mm -hmm. Um, so, yeah, I do think that that was one of the primary reasons why I started that um, email list. You know, I subscribe to the New York Times email that comes through the National Geographic email. And so that's a way where I can keep up with information. And I feel like with Tangle and Moms, same thing. We get people to sign up and they'll receive that newsletter twice a week so they can pay attention to local stories that are happening in Fort Worth. So I, I, I use it as a way of communications and, and you would use it, obviously, for, for sales, right? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, m- m- mostly for sales, but of course you could also tell other stories within those, those emails. Do you, do you currently have a, an email? Yes. Yes. We're g- rapidly building it, uh, for sure. Um, and we've, you know, we, we definitely started my wife's business, um, which is Sobersys. Um, 
and where she she helps women um, drink less or not at all. And so she has a coaching business online. And um, and at the very beginning, at the very inception, 18 months ago, uh, I made that a priority to make sure that that if we paid Facebook, that we actually got a name and email address in exchange. In other words, that was the call to action. So we had a, a you know survive one o'clock uh, lead magnet. Uh, then switched over to, um, and then we emailed the lead magnet to them. Um, so then we capture their email address and then we would, then we would market to those people to join her 21 day alcohol reset, uh, which has been wildly popular. Um, she's run, gosh, seven or 8,000 women through that already. And so we're building like that, that owning the traffic is so important. Yes. I mean, I mean, I just wanted to make sure that. Uh, in building that, that, that we designed it in such a way that, that it was, it was ours. Right. So I will say that, you know, I feel like, do you feel like her hub of her business is that Facebook group? Well, what's her hub? Good question. So her hub is, is for sure, um, the private Facebook group. Um, so she, we, we, there's a, a private group that if you've not joined the 21 day alcohol free reset, uh, you can't be in that group. So that community has um, eight, seven or 8,000 women in it. Uh, and it's highly active. I mean, one lady struggling one night, she posts a picture of her just kind of going like this, like I'm really struggling yeah. girls. And she'll have 200 comments in a matter of, of minutes. So it is a very uh, central hub to our interaction. And so it's like, I'm just, I'm just basically in a way as the business guy, of this, of this um, tribe she's creating, I'm a little bit fearful that um, you, what can be taken away. Yes. I'm counting on Zuckerberg to pay attention. I mean, uh, to, sure. to, to, to uh, behave himself. <laughs> yeah. So you, um, so I recently did alpha, or I'm sorry, beta test um, subscription groups. So not my current group, but launching a whole new group and charging members to be a part of that group. Right. Um, the concept that I came, I came with three or four different concepts and went with one, the one that I chose, you know, didn't work. And so we quickly abandoned it and I stopped testing, but, um, the going back to jewelry nut, when Facebook changed their algorithms, that was one thing I really lobbied for within my company was that we switch over to groups. Now we had already invested, you know, 200,000 plus in software that enabled us to do our business on our Facebook page, it would know it wouldn't work on our group. And that would mean that if we, you know, we did start a small group, but if we would moved everybody over to a group, then that means we were back to the days of hundred hour weeks, the hand capturing all of that information to be able to put it into our system to fulfill their orders and keep traffic, you know, data on there on this you know particular customer profile and all of the stuff that we'd already developed in our software. So we didn't do it. And we ended up selling the page, selling the page for a, as a retail boutique, not even with the software. Had we switched over to groups, something that I just lament <laughs> is knowing a year later, I'm seeing these, these success stories of people launching into Facebook groups where they're selling and they have $6 million businesses, you know, just because that's where you could and still can, can, uh, get people's attention and keep them engaged in these Facebook groups. That's not to say that they can't change that at any moment. You know, they are, they are developing products all the time. 
Um, right now they're really, they see the success with groups and they are helping people like me and probably your wife that are running successful, um, Facebook groups, but the game can be changed at any time and you do have to be careful. And so I think definitely capturing that customer information, you know, maybe even having some sort of backup group, I think mighty networks, or there's a bunch of other things that you can do. That's not Facebook, um, to kind of have a, a another resource of where you can keep that community active. Uh, but I, but so far, you know, I've, I have been put a lot of trust in Facebook with my group that it, it, we won't get shut down and yeah. basically end my business. Yeah. Well, as you know, as a business owner of, I've got a little cluster of, of different businesses. I've got a mortgage, co- two mortgage companies, a, a real estate brokerage, and then the investment thing. And I like control. I like to be able to see all the, the things and to, and to place my faith into uh, someone that, that so far has just delivered greatly to us. I mean, it's, it, we we our our ad spends in the thirty to fifty thousand a month. Yeah. Um. And yeah. so it's like the nut of what we're doing is is so much revolving around around Facebook. And so, uh, but it's highly effective and and yeah. pretty incredible. Um. So thank you for for that advice. That's the reason I uh, want to interview you so I can get free advice. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. You're such a pro. Yeah, you're such a pro. I mean, it's uh, it's pretty amazing what you've built so far. So just, you know, I, I know that there are, I get this question all the time, just, you know, how are you, how are you building this online business? What, what kind of, um, of advice would you give someone that wanted to build a community, uh, online and, 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 and just starting out, what would you say to them? Well, I mean, I guess it depends on the type of business they want to be in. My husband said, um, many years ago, wouldn't it be great to have a business that didn't have any inventory, you know, and you could work from anywhere and you, uh, you, you'd have clients, but you just wouldn't have a lot of overhead in the business. Don't even need a storefront. Right. Uh, and so it turns out it's Tangle and Moms. <laughs> and last summer we took a six week road trip and we were, I was able to most, I mostly ran the business from my phone because I have all the apps that I can, you know, base camp or Asana, Google Sheets, all the things. And I could do that and go. And we went to the you know Northeast and took our kids to camp and did a lot of exploring. And it was wonderful. And I was able to do that through, um, you know, digital means. So to me, that was my goal, right? I want, I have four kids. I got to be able to do things and not be tied to one location or one job or, uh, a boss necessarily, you know? So that's, that was my goal. And so how did we back into that? I didn't know that publishing was going to be the thing, you know, people really, I understood social media marketing and, and how to grow a community or, and I had grown a community. Really, you just make the community valuable to itself. I'm not the one putting in all of the work, right? There's 17,000 women. There's a hundred thousand comments and posts a, a month. Like they're doing a lot of that work, right? Most of the work. And we're here just being good and trying to be good moderators of this group, right? Making, setting nice rules that people can follow and then keeping up with what's going on in that group. Now there's, uh, there are times and I'm sure people are aware that things get out of hand on, on social media threads. And it, that's a hard place to be in. Cause I, I don't enjoy being the person who gets to decide what stays, what goes, who stays, who goes. It's awful. 
uh, I just want everybody to get along, <laughs> you know, but, um, but yeah, there's, there's a lot of difficulty that comes with that, with being a moderator admin of a group. Um, so, but going to the business part of it, we found that telling community stories and helping being an advocate for small business, local small business was a way that we, that we could start something where there was nothing right. Tangled moms, uh, and made where they came because they're locally at the time, there weren't other publications talking to people like me, you know, the other big publications were focused on luxury lifestyle or, um, you know, real estate or, you know, home and, um, business, you know, there are other business publications for Fort Worth, but nothing that was really addressing sort of the family. Right. And, and, and from, information that are stories that can be shared with the, with a woman or the husband or the kids, you know, that's, that's where we wanted to be family friendly, learn about your community, learn about great people doing really cool things in your community that you're not going to see other places. Right. So that's been our, our mission with that. And, and, and when we launched the magazine, our mission was also to tell diverse stories all over Fort Worth, you know, uh, racial diversity and um, different uh, it, just people that you wouldn't see normally otherwise. And, and people that really are some of them being nationally known or world renowned. And we don't know about these people, right? Like, how do we not know about these people? And maybe because they don't have a big marketing team behind them, you know? So that's what we've been, we've been, we've been doing with that print publication. So I didn't really answer your question of how to help someone who's just starting out other than just kind of define what your goals and how you see yourself acting in that business and then sort of build the business into that. If you, if your passion is, Hey, I really want to have, um, I want to produce this product and I want it to be where I can have someone else produce it. And I just build up the, um, community or the, fans, if you will, to buy this product, then you can still remain online, right? If you're, if your passion is, I want to be around people and I want to meet my clients, I want to see them and I want to see how they react when they consume this product, then, you know, building the Facebook group or the online community may not be as important, right? Right. Well, it's, um, it's a pretty big jump. So you describe this kind of this laptop lifestyle, um, and, and, and I can see that to be true um, for Jennifer's business, no question, um, for sure, because there's it's a digital product. Um, she's she's on her phone eight hours a day, uh, really trying her best to connect with the tribe, as she calls it. Um, and it's it's a it's a full time effort, uh, no doubt about it. But it is but it is there is no inventory. There's a jump for you from from this this online world to now print media with Made Worthy um, magazine. So talk to me about that decision process and the strategy behind making that move. Yeah. Okay. So that goes into real estate a little bit. So I was working, uh, first he was a client, but I was working for a top real estate agent in Fort Worth and uh, running his social media. And there was a great success um, working together. <clears throat> then he brought me onto his team to run all of his marketing, including print marketing. So that's where I learned about local publishing. You know, I saw their rates. You know, I saw what we were paying to put our ads in. I saw how the ads were being produced. I saw how the editorial layout was happening. And, um, you know, the agency I worked with, they also um, produced their own publication. So I saw one being birthed. And I thought, you know, I can do this. 
I'm really already doing this. I'm doing this online. We have our stories and we have our advertisers. Why couldn't I take this into print? And this is at a time when uh, like Indulge failed. And the one from the Star Telegram, this is, I think Westford Lifestyle was another magazine that folded. Like all the print, print stuff was dying. Like why on earth? I told my husband, he was like, why, why are you going to start a print business? Like this, everybody's moving to digital. Um, so I just like, no, no, I think I'm, I have this niche audience, if you will. I think that it could still work. And so I went to current clients and to ad agencies with a blank sheet of paper that looked like what Made Worthy is today, right? It was just this, but blank, several sheets of it and an iPad and a presentation and said, this is how I envision this magazine to be. I, uh, I think my first yes was um, uh, Alan Wallach at Pavlov. <laughs> he said, yes. And I was like, okay, this is really encouraging. Right. And then I went to different clients and they were all in immediately. I basically st- committed about a year's worth of advertising that those for that first month of pitching. So I started pitching June of 2017 and we came out with our first print issue in September of 2017. I did get people kind of laughing me out the door. Like, what are you thinking? You know, it wasn't all, like, Oh yeah, this great success, but it was hard work. Um, but one that, just kind of, he just kind of shooed me out the door. This isn't going to work, but I will say that just this week I got an email from that agency asking for our, uh, you know, media kits and, and rate cards, which is <laughs> so encouraging, right? It, it took a few years, but people get on board and I'll say that to anybody who's in sales too. You know, I, I started working on this one client when we first started in 2015, big, Everybody knows who this client is. I won't mention them, but it really tried to get in front of them for several years. And last year was the first year that they started advertising with us. It was like, yes, you know, you don't ever give up. You never, they may be a no, but it's just a no right then. It's not a no forever. You know, I love, I'm, I'm noticing a pattern here and in, in the way that you think um, that I admire and think that many entrepreneurs have that same, uh, thing and and it is it's basically uh the ability to notice you um just described your ability to notice when you were working um for someone else just launching the print media thing and you noticed what the ads were costing um you noticed uh what it cost to print you noticed all these things and then came up with a summary of, Hey, I can do this. Uh, which I think is, I, I'm not so sure that, that I think that's pretty rare. Um, your ability to notice opportunity like that. Where, where do you think that comes from? I think it's probably stems from, um, one of the things that I felt that gave that I was successful at, at the, that corporate jewelry job that I had, which was trend forecasting. Um, I could see something just before it was going to hit, right? And maybe I'm not, I'm not saying that I was seeing it years in advance, just right before it was going to hit, just enough time to get that thing in place, right? So I think that that might have something to do with it, just sort of that innate ability to say, okay, I see that a lot of people are interested in this. I'm going to see if I can find a way to, um, to make this an opportunity that would work, you know, financially for me. Um, I will, you know, also, I will say that all of these business endeavors have been started with a very small investment. I wasn't risking a lot. Jewelry Nut was started with $1,000. Penguin Mons was started with 100 The magazine was started 
with having ads sold first. I didn't just go and say, okay, I'm going to spend X number of dollars to produce this magazine. Let me see if I can make some money. I went and sold the ads first, right? I wasn't taking a huge risk. Um, but I did see the opportunity because no one else was doing it. And I thought that, you know, there, I, there are probably plenty of clients out there would, that would like to get in front of people like me, right? Mom that's busy, that wants to get their kids engaged in things all over Fort Worth. The, so I, I feel like that's where our client bases come from. You know, if you think about, we have you um, and Carter Museum, TCU Athletics, uh, lots of people in the healthcare industry, UNT Health Science Center just recently launched a big campaign for COVID with us this year. Um, you know, I don't know, gosh, there's, um, okay, I'm failing at coming up with all the clients, but just uh, the stock show and rodeo, you know, where are you going to, where else are you going to find moms to take their kids to the rodeo? I mean, there's 17,000 women in Tangled Moms, and they're mostly in Fort Worth. They're not their surrounding areas of Benbrook and Alito and, and whatnot. So, of course, if you're wanting to hit this local mom audience, we're it. Yeah, for sure. Well, I have, uh, I have a, a question about the publishing business, because as soon as that magazine came out, I knew it was from you guys. And I thought what most people thought, like, what in the world are they doing like because i've seen what you've seen which i've seen the in the indulge or whatever it was I, I get these glossy magazines all the time and 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 they're they feel so much the same they're monolithic and i just thought well, this is different it looks cool um and i hope it works but what in the world uh was my initial was my initial thought because i just don't know anything about it so with that uh, follow up with this question. Um, what do you think is, is most misunderstood about the publishing business? Well, it's hard. It's a hard business to be in. I will not, I mean, it is, we publish every other month. And for me, there's that kind of, Oh gosh, are we going to be able to get to press this month? <laughs> you know, and there are publications that do that every week. And I know another publication during COVID, they had to stop printing for several weeks because they, they didn't have the, you know, the revenue to be able to, to put that investment out there. Um, I think that there are some people who are very knowledgeable. I'll, you know, Jerry Scott, who publishes the 360 West and, and other, uh, you know, zip code print publications. You know, he came from Four Star Telegram. He knew how to get the right um, mailing list. I will say, mm -hmm. like that was his job to to determine who those readers were. So I think he's producing a product very specifically for this type of reader. And he has these advertisers who want to reach those readers. Right. Um, and I guess that's really kind of where you have to understand publishing is, are you speaking to the people who um, are, you know, have you defined who those people are and are you, providing content and ads that are relevant to them. Very much like what we just said Facebook does, right? Same thing. Um, but, you know, as far as the format goes, I was told by a, 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 an advertiser, they didn't like it. They didn't like that the format was that size. Could I make it smaller? Why, you know, why isn't it, when are you going to turn into a glossy publication? And it wasn't an idea of, I didn't want to appear, you know, um, this luxury like style with the glossy pages is, I mean, I made a conscious decision that I, I didn't do it for a cost is what I'm trying to say. I did it because that's the aesthetic that I was going for. I wanted there to be interactive pages for kids. So there's twofold to this one that they are 
you've got something within waiting rooms, right? At the doctor's office or the kids can get, you know, here's this puzzle they can do. And two, it also gives the family more time spent on that page, right? Or you're going to see the story you want to read over here. Oh, look, here's this event that's going on. Oh, look, here's this doctor that's promoting this. Okay. I bet there's a lot of time spent on the page when there's activities for kids. Um, so I wanted the paper quality to be something that crayons would work on. You know, I wanted, um, pens, pencils, all of that. So I didn't want it to be high flashy glossy. So I, I will say I've heard both sides of people loving it and people going, I don't understand. Why don't you want to look like the fancy ones? <laughs> yeah. I got that impression. As soon as I got it, I thought this is on purpose. Um, because it, it, it had that, uh, uh, local folksy feeling that was a little bit more readable. Um, it felt it felt like the stories were going to be more real somehow because gloss is cool, but what you what you're doing has this real really cool vibe to it. Um, so I'd like to transition a little bit into kind of a little bit more personal ideas um, and just sort of strategies that you use to navigate all that you have going on. Um, and I, this question actually comes from my wife, Jennifer, um, as she is building SoberSys, um, she feels, um, pulled in a lot of directions. Um, she's got the ad team wanting live videos. She's got a uh, copy to approve. She's got, uh, little nightmare posts that happen inside the groups, um, you know, things that, th- things that come up, um, that are pretty overwhelming. And there's another component too, that's difficult. And that is just the, almost like compassion fatigue in a way where she is, cares about this tribe and these women so deeply and wants to help them so much gain clarity. Um, and it, it, feels uh, hard to balance it all. And so that is kind of what her question revolves around. What, what is, how do you, how do you set proper boundaries and balance all that you have going on and still uh, remain married and (laughs) take care of your four kids? (laughs) Uh, Okay. So I think people assume that I, and I don't mean you guys, I think people in Tangled Moths assume that I spend all day in my group. My, uh, I think that her group is a little different because she's serving as a guide for people and, and I'm not, you know, so I don't, I get called into my group when the post is flagged and I'll handle it, you know, pretty, I try to do it quickly. Sometimes I feel like I need to consult with the other admins and get their take on it so we can make a group decision. And the other admins are not associated with my business. So it also keeps it sort of unbiased to have their input into it. Um, but there's times when I've taken things very personally that had nothing to do with me, but because they are happening in this group and that people are hurting or people are mad or people are, you know, taking things to a place where I didn't even know I was going to have to be taken to. I just, it affects your, you know, your psyche. It, it affects you personally. Um, and sometimes I would say there were times where it would be days of me kind of holding that pain or holding that responsibility. And maybe over time it has become uh, a little, I, 
I've kind of built up tools that are ways that I'm not going to get personally invested. I have, I really look at this from an you know, arm's length distance. What is this person trying to convey? What is this person trying to convey? How can I help mediate this? And a lot of times I'll do that behind the scenes. You know, it doesn't have to get aired out on Tangle Moms, right? Um, and then other times, so I just, I, this, um, I had an interview with Danette's Urban Oasis, Danette Wicker, and there was a lot of social unrest, you know, right, you know, in Tangled Moms and of course in the world with protests and whatnot happening. And there was a lot of heated debate and she was, her advice to me was like, don't even sec- think about it. Just delete it and move on, remove that person and go on. It kind of gave me that, um, permission, if you will, to make those decisions, to keep the community still this place where positive things can happen. And I was like, you know, I'm so glad she said that and sort of gave me this permission because I had a hard time and I was taking things personally and people were attacking me personally too. Um, so I think it was just like setting these clear boundaries, these clear rules and, and, and enforcing them and, and trying to keep that, even if they are somewhat sometimes directed at me, not letting it affect me personally. And as far as like self-care goes, I do a lot of walking outside and um, I like, I used to do a lot of crafts and whatnot before kids or even with young kids. And I haven't so much, but finding those little things that make you happy, whether that's gardening or, um, you know, writing, journaling, I know is a good one, just ways to get your emotions out or, or just to kind of be one with earth because people can be, it can be hard out there. (laughs) It can be hard out there in the social media world when people are behind their computer banging out whatever they want and not feeling like there's any sort of repercussion for it. You know, I, I, I'm very delicate with what I put out online um, because I'm not trying intentionally to offend people, you know, and I think people are very, some people are very comfortable offending people. Oh, for sure. I mean, it, it's it's just um, um, it, the moderation piece of moderating a group um, is has been a real interesting journey uh, for Jennifer because she is, you know, she is a guide, right? There is there is that part, and she does she does take it personally, um, and not in a not in a kind of a bad way at all. But it's because she cares. Um, she really cares, and she wants to keep the topic the topic, uh, and. And so, you know, that, that's really pretty good advice to, um, that you just laid out. And it's, it is a, um, uh, it is a challenge because you want to keep the main thing, the main thing. Yeah. Uh, and does she have moderators in the group? Does, are people that help her admin? Yes. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. We have two that are, uh, pretty much full time seeing it and flagging posts. We have all the search queries of certain words that are hot words and then they get flagged and then we take a look at them and then she makes a call, uh, and a decision on whether to take it down or not. And it's, it pains her to take it down sometimes. And sometimes it doesn't, sometimes she makes a personal phone call. Um, and because she just really cares and she's, she, uh, I really admire that about her. And I think your care is, is also what, what causes Tanglewood moms to work is because you care. Um, and, and you're right. There's a, so much unrest in our world right now. And it seems to exacerbate because uh, people feel like uh, they need a container to put it in. Sometimes they put it in the wrong container though, <laughs> in the wrong platform. And as the moderator, you have to make that call, which is not easy to do. 
um, for sure. So, well, so is there your other question really about like how do I you know balance it with family and and my husband? I will say that I a few years ago spent way more time in the building of this business. So I don't know what stage she's in, but I was on it nonstop with the website and the social media channels, building those. I mean, when I hit ten thousand followers on Instagram, I was like eh, done. Okay, that's all I needed. I'm I'm good there it's grown organically to 16,000. I'm not just actively like pounding to get these followers, right? Same with the email uh, newsletter. It's just like, it's organically grown. I, I put in that hard hustle in this first several years. And then now it's a little bit more of in the coasting range. And so I've, I have committed at least in the last two years um, to take way more time for my family and my husband um, just enjoying life. I had this interview with um, the developer, who started Seaside in Florida. We interviewed him and put him in the magazine a, a few years ago. And he was talking about the good life. I was like, oh, I forgot about that concept. Like I hadn't, I'd been so, such in the hustling stage of my life and having small children and they're needing you so much full time that I hadn't considered just enjoying life for myself and I was like, I'm taking this to heart. You know, I can't work myself raw because I'll be good for no one, you know, including myself. So I, I've intentionally in the past two years um, taken that time and not just fully immersed in, in the business. You got to stand back and you got to take care of you because then you'll, you'll be able to give more to the community, right? You'll be able to give more through what we're producing and have a more um, uh, thoughtful discussion than if you're just constantly in it, handling the minutia of your community or of your Facebook group or, or business itself. Yeah. So your, your self-care, you touched on that for a second. Um, you know, I kind of view um, self-care as, um, as almost like a, 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 a refueling of sorts. And you mentioned nature um, and then you mentioned um, journaling is there anything else particularly that refuels you when, when you feel overwhelmed? Um, I, anything around the water to me is something, even if it's just taking a bath, but to me, the, <laughs> the nurturing element of water might, by the way, my dog came in here and she's got a squeaky toy. So it's probably not going to be great for okay. the podcast, but um, so yeah, anything around water. So, so that could be just, you know, going to a stream river lake, listening to the sounds that it makes, you know, feeling you know, there's a lot of energy in the water, there's um, uh, minerals in the water and the calm that it produces. If you're in the shower or in the bath, I also get all my great ideas with water. So I'll, you know, you can, you'll come out of the shower and you're like, ah, oh, that's what I need to do. Forgot that, that or, or not even forgot. It's more of hadn't thought about that. I need to think about that. And so I feel like water just is a great element to, um, Sorry, <laughs> to, to help sure. with that nourishing self-care. Right, I'm pretty sure every one of our listeners has a has a has a dog with a squeaky toy. That is totally normal. She's okay. also the uh, the master thief. She goes and gets them from all the neighbor dogs. Brings we don't even buy her squeaky toys, but she finds them. Oh, the really? <laughs> very. <laughs> kind of like her mama. She's very resourceful. <laughs> 
Well, uh, we are running low on time, um, Victoria, but I wanted to, before, before we get to what I do at the end of each podcast, I do some rapid fire fun questions at the end. But before, before I do that, I'd love to hear, uh, cause I know your mind runs quick all the time and you're likely always working on something. What are you excited about right now? Um, so rapid fire question scares me a little bit and I oh. will tell you, I'll tell you why. Um, I, I did get COVID back in early March and mm. it was, um, very difficult and scary and mm. times where I, I, I did call 911 cause I couldn't breathe. Um, it was probably the most challenging thing physically that I've been through before. And it, as of late, the kind of leftover symptoms that I'm feeling are with my heart. I get heart palpitations. I get this fluttering that happens. And then I also have, um, some brain fog that happens. So I will do my best at answering your rapid fire questions. (laughs) They're easy. Uh, It's easy easy to talk about all the stuff that's happened in your life because you've lived it right. That's kind of committed to some more long-term memory, but Mm -hmm. like to have to come up with these answers. Um, and, and as far as like what I'm working or what I'm passionate about now, uh, I will say, I, when the George Floyd video happened, I, when his death happened, when his killing happened, he, he was on the floor ask, saying he couldn't breathe. And I was just coming off of a period where I felt like I couldn't breathe. And it was terrifying. It launched me into full-on panic attacks. I didn't, haven't had anxiety or panic disorder, anything before. But that feeling of not being able to breathe is terrifying. And I couldn't watch the end of the video. I couldn't. Like, it was so emotional for everyone who watched it. But I, but I just had this, you know, reaction of, like, I know I know how hard it is when you can't feel that breath come in and you're terrified and scared for your life. And so that uh, day, I um, – let me see if I have it. I read this quote by one of my friends who's who I met through Tanglewood Moms. I met her because of the – uh, shooting of a Tatiana Jefferson. And she posted on her Facebook, the Amy Coopers of the world create the very situations that result in senseless loss of life, like that of George Floyd, Google their names. And she posted that on the day both of those events happened, right? And I thought, okay, I need to go figure out what she's talking about. So I went, Google their names. And I'd seen actually one of the stories before. I think I maybe had seen uh, I'd seen George Floyd's name. I hadn't researched what had happened yet. So that evening I went and looked at it and it just hit me. Like it, like just, I know I can help Amy Coopers. I have this community of women in Tangler, 17,000 of them that have had some, maybe a lot, but probably minimal exposure to communities of color. Right. Fort Worth is a very segregated town, and I grew up in small town Oklahoma. The town next to me was a sundown town. My racial like dialogue and upbringing, I just I wasn't knowledgeable. I still am figuring things out, right? But I'm listening and I'm learning, and I feel like that's where women like me, who have loved the lives that they have, can do. Like at the very minimum you can listen and learn, right? Because these are other people's lived experiences. And how could you have an opinion on their lived experiences, right? So I started HeartWork with these uh, with um, a few other women, Noel Gonzalez, Sharon Jackson, um, Jody Myers, um, 
Lee Verdon Gerking, who works with me on Maidworthy, and um, Charla Williams and Whitney Thompson and her husband Zach. And we had we had actually met, but all of us had met back when Tatiana Jefferson was killed, and uh, wanted to do something for Fort Worth. We weren't sure what yet, but we started those conversations back then. And then when George Floyd was killed, we knew we had to act now. So we all got on a Zoom call and figured a plan of, of how we can make a difference in Fort Worth. And so Heartwork was born. And so now there's about a thousand women in the group and um, you have to agree to the group rules. It's very much about listening, reading the materials before commenting, right? You can't just jump in there with your opinions and maybe your even your lived experiences until you've kind of read this material that we've put out. But I'm, I feel like of all the things I'm doing in my life or I've done in my life, this will be the most important. Like to me, it's, I'm, this is something that will be lifelong for me. You know, I don't, I don't, I don't know how you can erase 450 years of oppression and, and, you know, ingrained racism within our culture overnight, right? It's just not going to happen. But I love that we threw, I shouldn't say I love, but I think that through the quiet period of COVID where we're all at home, you know, living our lives in a different way, a lot of emotion, and then being very plugged into the news and online gave that quiet period for a movement that George Floyd's death sparked, right? And it did globally. So I'm just trying to do my little part here in Fort Worth of how can I educate anybody who might be an Amy Cooper out there that is just hasn't taken the time to listen and learn and, and not be fearful of people of color. Well, that's a, I love, I love the, um, once again, uh, the theme of the, the theme of noticing, uh, for you. Um, and I can, I can tell, um, just your story is so compelling because you, you actually live the experience of not being able to breathe and just how, um, how connected you are to, to that emotion and, um, and then not sitting still. Um, I will say, you know, as kind of a white affluent business guy, I feel a little stuck in this topic, um, to be completely honest with you. Um, I'm really not sure what I can do. Um, and so, uh, other than listen, uh, and learn, um, and, and mostly keep my mouth shut. Uh, but then again, keeping my mouth shut, uh, also is something that I, I don't necessarily want to do. And so it feels, uh, you know, as I hear you describe, um, what you're trying to create, uh, I feel a level of anxiety because I feel, I feel a little stuck. And so do you have any, do you have any thoughts um, for for me? Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, I mean, I feel like, you know, even with your business, you are um, connecting with communities of color, right? You're helping build up the neighborhoods with the work that you're doing, rehabbing homes and, and selling it to a low to mid-income group. So I feel like you have that connection even with your business. And there's, But understanding and like being a good ally, I would say I'll recommend two books. One, an white fragility. I just started that one and 
How to Be an Anti-Racist. Um, those are two books that I'm consuming right now. I'm also connecting closely with my friends who are black and, you know, listening to them. I, I've never thought that the 4th of July was something someone didn't celebrate. You know, this year was my first year that I sort of lived in a little bit of, lived a little of their pain, knowing that they don't celebrate because that's not the day they got their freedom, right? Um, Juneteenth is the day they celebrate when mm -hmm. they got their freedom. And then to some degree still don't feel that it's an equal world out there for, for everyone. So those were things that I, I, it's like, oh, I kind of have to take a step back and think all of my life I've lived this way of celebrating certain things like living within our culture and, and then not even realizing that other people are, you know, having a hard time with this. So I got, I read this quote yesterday because um, everybody who I feel like will be at some stage of reconciling what's going on in, in today's society and, and in Fort Worth. But I, I posted this to my Instagram. It said, um, a good ally places themselves in between the system and those people the and those people the system is harming, using their privilege to allow the voices of the impacted folks to be heard and protected. So I think to me that means that you, as a white male business owner, that's very successful. You have there's a lot of power in that, right? There's a lot of there's a lot of um, you have so many great networks and connections. And if there's a way for you to help someone else that hasn't had, you know, and, and I'm not to say that you didn't just build yourself up in the bootstraps. I, I, I you know, pull yourself in the bootstraps. Like you've had your experience in business. I, I, I've read your, your bio and, um, but we're just afforded so many more opportunities. I feel like than certain members of our community. So, you know, finding those organizations to align yourself with, align your business with, <clears throat> And then just, you know, from a personal standpoint, you know, getting to know people um, and, and helping them through, sometimes it's just being that voice of, as a, as protecting them on social media. You know, I, I, I've experienced that with, with some of my friends in, in, in our new heartwork group where people are immediately kind of go on the attack for one of the admins. And I just sort of come in there and say, okay, as a white woman, how can I make a difference to this other white woman? Like helping her see what those words that she's saying to someone and, and make people think a little bit more. So yeah, there's a lot of education to be done and I will not, I am not claiming to be an expert. I am just, I will say maybe not in stage one, but I'm maybe like one and a half, <laughs> like just beginning my, my journey here. Well, and I had, I had uh, planned on, I had a, a, uh, uh, interview planned with Gary Randall, who is, um, yeah. who started Hope Farm. And for the listeners that don't know, Gary was a, um, a police officer um, and his beat was Stop Six, which is one of the, w w just a really rough neighborhood. And he saw in a really interesting pattern um, and his, what he saw was um, young um, African-Americans getting stuck in the criminal justice system um, and not being able to get out of that, coupled with uh, the fact that a lot of these young men, mainly young men, uh, didn't have a father figure. 
And so Gary took it upon himself to create an environment where he's helped hundreds and hundreds of boys, starting at the age of five and stepping into that father role. Um, and just right after uh, George Floyd happened, I, I spent a couple of hours on the phone with him and and learned and listened um, and just tried to understand. Uh, and so I, I look forward to, to interviewing him uh, sometime soon. But but anyway, um, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely in the learning phase and um, definitely uh, – have my eyes and ears wide open and, and look forward to joining that group. And we'll link to uh, the things that you've mentioned in the bio. So people will, or not in the bio, but in the uh, show notes. So uh, thank you so much. So let's, uh, let's finish on a, on a light note. I'm not going to ask you any math questions. (laughs) (laughs) So don't worry about that. That would freak me out. (laughs) Uh, So are you a morning person or a night owl? I would say night owl. I'm going to answer some of these pre-COVID. Is that okay? Pre-COVID, Victoria. Yes. So um, what do you do every day without fail? Oh, um, gosh, what do I do every day without fail? Um, I read. I read articles. I read a book. I read without fail. How do you consume the news? I, well, I get those newsletters I spoke about. So... New York Times sends an email out, same with National Geographic. I get that one. I get the fourth business press email. So I read news, local news there. And then um, social media to some degree, yeah, because I follow a lot of the, the media outlets online. And uh, so you do a lot of reading. What, um, what books have you given away or recommended the most? Oh, well, um, so I am sort of lame and that I don't read a lot of uh, fiction. I love biographies and I love uh, nonfiction. I love business books. So um, Seth Godin tribes, you know, you mentioned your wife calls her thing tribes. I mean, that's a good one. I, I don't know if I've given away a lot of books. I think I've recommended a lot of books um, in the business world. Uh, Jim Collins books with good to great and built to last. Those are ones that I really enjoyed. And then I, you know, I, I read the Steve jobs auto, or biography rather. And I feel like there are a lot of good nuggets in that book too, especially for entrepreneurs. Well, yeah, you got to get through it though. Cause it's like, that yeah. thick. <laughs> <laughs> I, I did get through it and it's worth the read. There's a lot of good stuff in there. Oh, cool. About how to be and how not to be too. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. You can, I can imagine. Well, so your, your time is super valuable and I'm curious of what is the number one thief of your valuable time? Uh, scrolling. Yeah, for sure. Uh, scrolling on, on, on Instagram or Facebook and I just, I stopped myself. And so now I have planned out some little outlets. If I have taken that time to do that, like I'll bring a book with me if I'm in the line waiting or if I'm going to have to be in my car or something for an extended period of time, like I'll, I'll bring something worthwhile to read because sometimes getting a social media will get me hot, my blood boiling. And it's like, why did I expend that energy and emotion? Like, oh, no. Yeah, you've got to reserve that tank to do things that are meaningful, right? The, the things that are important. I've actually uh, this year I've set these limits. I, my, you know, my actually my business is not on Instagram, but that, I'll get caught on Instagram, and and so I set a, a fifteen minute a day limit, and a, my iPhone kind of works as the government for me. It sort of shuts me down, and and I just smile and move on. <laughs> so I I feel your pain with that. Well, so um, man, Victoria, it has been 
so much fun to talk to you today and uh, learned quite a bit about you, your background and your life and the way you look at the world. And uh, it was very fulfilling uh, for sure. Uh, and so thank you so much for coming on the show. Are there any parting thoughts from you? Uh, well, thank you for having me. You're a great interviewer. And I, <laughs> you are, and I feel like we covered a lot of ground there. So <laughs> I, I appreciate that. Um, yeah, I don't know any parting thoughts. Um, just be kind. You know, I think people out there right now, there's just so much emotion. I think people just need to take a deep breath, like walk back away from things they feel like they need to go, you know, be aggressive about because it's just it, in the end, it just kind of detracts from, from you and pulls away from what makes you uh, a good person or, you know, um, heading in a positive direction. Beautifully said. Well, folks, that wraps up our show for this week. Do me a favor and type in truegritpodcast.com and subscribe to the True Grit blog. On Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, you will get a super short nugget that will help you become a better leader. Included in these posts, you will also get the show notes with links to books, articles, and other cool things discussed on the show. Thanks, as always, for listening to the True Grit Podcast, where we believe that personal growth and helping each other solve important problems is the best way to make the world a better place.